Hello, you are listening to the Bethel Atlanta Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about Bethel Atlanta, visit www.bethelatlanta.com. Let me just ask a question. Content or discontent? Which tent are you living in? I thought at least taking a few moments and just uh, sharing a couple of memory stones. Uh, Normally, I'm not on the phone during the services, but today I did because when we came and I knew this was the tent, uh, the the story started about three years ago where a group in Birmingham, they had asked me to come to Birmingham, and eventually I felt in my spirit that if I'm going to come, there was a couple of things. Usually I do not do that. It's either yes or no. But I said, okay, I am willing to come, but I'm going to put some condition. And one of those conditions was, in a sense, I, I don't want that to be just a church or coming to a church event. I want it to be a family event. So you're going to have to have a neutral place. I, I didn't want to come to any of the church building. And the second of all, I want the churches in unity, different colors, to come together. But you have to be willing to give up your Sunday services because then... If they're willing to give up their Sunday services and coming together, I knew, wow, that's an upgrade. And I got the invitation back and they said, yes, we're going to actually have this field and we're going to have this tent. And this is the very tent. Uh, anyway, so in October in 2016 in Birmingham, Alabama, and there's several of the things that just brought tears to my eyes. And one of them was uh, uh, during the Sunday services, the churches were united together and they put the different baskets up front and different ones just came in and whatever. But then one of the guys just came and took their church and just kind of poured it into other people's baskets. But one of the things we saw, there was just this family of families coming together in unity and that we have a bigger yes and they were willing to say no to say yes to a bigger yes. But also on the fifth, about where, uh, over right in the corner there, I never forgot one lady was just sitting there and the presence of God just touched her. And later on she came up and she said, I had breast cancer and I was about to have surgery. And she was just totally healed from breast cancer in this very place. I just, uh, I just text Jeremy, the, the leader of Rise Birmingham, the, the ones that owned it, and I just texted him during the service, and I said, tell me a couple of your highlights. He said, it was also during the worship, we had this person that was deaf, that was totally deaf and just got totally healed in this meeting. And we had another one there, I just said, could I just borrow your cane because I was going to use an illustrative message. And in this tent, as I said, I was just borrowing his cane to do an illustration, but while I was borrowing his cane, he was just getting healed during the service. So... Uh, but one of my favorite, I'm going to make sure that you get it. I'm, I'm texting to Steve afterwards. I'm just kind of a building the expectation here, Blake. So you just, uh, you just bring heaven, heaven down in a few moments. But uh, one of my favorite things, I just got the picture, but we had a couple of, in this place, at one moment, people were just taking picture, and literally, there's like a hole in the tent. It was like an open heaven that just went up. So we have that on the picture. And we have a beautiful picture where there's this kind of the glory realm where there's just a lot of angelic, angelic activity that was taking place. And so even some of the people that took the picture, we've seen some of with clouds, but one of them you just see there's this incredible open heaven. So I'm saying that even as we, I know this is a tent, I understand that, but it's more than just a tent. I think that right now in this season that we are in right now, that this was a place here, as I'm saying, that just 
just a few years ago. Last year, again, there was a tent meeting. And uh, I think in 2020, I'm going to be with Randy Clark back again in Birmingham. And they are upgrading their tent for a larger event there in Birmingham. So I'm saying that in regard to this season, and I share with Stephen, then I'm going to hand it over to Blake. But in this season of transition, when we first moved to this place, uh, we were going to build our dream home. And we left a very nice home in Alabama and left. And when we came here, we moved into an apartment. And we stayed in an apartment much longer than what we thought we were going to be. Because it took a long time before we were building our dream home. And in this season, I I would have never uh, celebrated. For over six years now, we've been living in our dream home. And every single day, I have this gratitude when I'm coming up to my property. But if it was not for that transition and the season we had been in the apartment, I wouldn't have been able to celebrate and appreciate the season we're in. So I'm saying that I'm very grateful that we went from that tent to this tent. And at the same time, but I really do believe that this season while we are here, we're going to experience I mentioned there was a unity that took place in that tent, they said, where the body in Birmingham came together. So we're going to experience a unity. The first year of the tent was restoration. And I just, that's what they call, it was a restoration. And I just also wanted to release that if there's any area where the thief came to kill, steal, and destroy, Jesus came to give life and life more abundantly. This is a season for restoration. Any area in your life that needs to be restored, this is a season of restoration. So I just, I celebrate our family. I celebrate this time together. I celebrate uh, this tent and just this season that we're going to enjoy every moment. And it's going to be a miracle moment. And now I have been looking forward. I came this morning with an expectation uh, for Blake Healy. Just a couple of weeks ago, I was up there at Randy Clark School teaching. And, and I saw one person who was a well-known seer and another leader. They sat at the breakfast table. And I walked over to the table. And we just hugged and everything else. And I said, hey, uh, do you guys know about Blake Healy? I said. And the guy said, yeah, I just read the book of Blake Healy. So I want you to know that in, in a lot of different places, uh, Blake Healy, he has a gift that he has stewarded in a very beautiful way. That is now actually, God is using that gift. So he has been very faithful in the small, now God is opening up more. But even as some of the gift that he has become, the message that he has become has importation. So I just want us also, even when Blake is at home, and there's other people, heroes among us, that uh, when you honor, and here is just as simple, and I'm going to land this, but it, don't misunderstand me with this, but if you are suddenly recognizing that there was a very fine wine that is there, according to your palates, if you know that this is a $200 bottle of wine, the way you prepare your palates... You prepare yourself to receive on a whole different level. According to how you honor is also what you have access. And that's why sometimes it's important for us because we maybe think this is a $20 bottle because you're just around and have seen Blake serving here with you. But I just want you to know that who he is and, and the years that he has been in the secret place, that wine has an incredible value. And when we're recognizing that and celebrate that, something happens with our palates and he can go into the deep places and serve us something on a higher level. So I just want you to know I celebrate you, Blake, and just the years of faithfulness. And I am thirsty and my palates are ready. So let's welcome Blake Healy. All right. Man, 
All right. Well, I'm glad I didn't bring my Kool-Aid message. I got the <laughs> bringing the fine wine message today. <laughs> All right. Um, so I have something today that's excruciatingly simple. Um, but it's something that I've caught myself dozens of times totally missing, and I've observed many people uh, missing this principle as well. And I, I want to build a little bit of why I think this, this very simple principle is important so we can kind of put, put it on the right shelf um, as, we, as we go forward. Um, so here at Bethel Atlanta, and as well with our sister church, Bethel and Reading, we, we, we believe that God wants to release his kingdom over the entire earth. We believe that God wants to bring a revival that is sustained, that is perpetual, that, that goes on until Jesus comes back, that we have all been empowered by our adoption into his, in king, into his kingdom to to continue in the ministry style of Jesus, to release miracles, to release healing, to preach the gospel, all of these things. We want to bring worldwide transformation. Yeah? Getting slightly less excited than I would have expected, but that's okay. It's okay. World, worldwide transformation is, a, is, is kind of an up there topic, you know. The, the, the kingdom coming to earth is kind of a big topic. And so what I actually want to do today is... I don't, I don't think this is the right answer, but it is the, the right answer that I have run into, or at least my right answer, for what, what is step one to changing the entire world? Slightly more intrigued? Okay, good. I heard some, some hums and haws. Oh, man, this is like, okay. It's probably fine. <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be over here, though. <laughs> It's probably fine. Um, so a couple, a couple of weeks ago, I taught about what used to be a scripture that, that bothered me that actually turned into one of my favorite scriptures. Who remembers what that scripture was? John 3.16, for God so loved, let's, let's just all say it together just for funsies. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever should believe in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. A couple different versions going on. That's okay. <laughs> We've got her, her to believeth in there somewhere. That's great. Um, and part of my message uh, when I was sharing that was how I, I grew up in the church. I grew up a pastor's kid, grew up a missionary kid. And because of the lens that I had, I heard that scripture in what I would uh, summarize as a very generic way. Like, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Because I had heard that scripture so many hundreds of times, because uh, the, the idea of God loving the whole world is so big that it's kind of hard for me to get a grips on, it felt like almost this, like, you know, this, this nice thing to say that didn't really mean anything, which is not true at all, and that's kind of what we dug into last time. Well, we know that as Christians, we're called to love, right? Again, a little bit less <laughs> in, <laughs> you had to think about that for a second, love. Is that one of the things that might be kind of the main thing? But um, 
So you've heard me talk about this phrase before, and I'm going I'm to be a little bit more aggro about it than I usually am. But there's this phrase that I've heard that even when I first heard it, and even before I understood why, this phrase always just really bothered me. Um, and if you have said this recently, I'm sorry, but I'm going to tear into this, um, but I still love you. Um, have you ever heard this phrase? Usually, usually, this is usually used in reference to like a strange relative or a difficult coworker or something of that nature of like, well, I have to love them, but I don't have to like them. <laughs> ever heard that phrase? It's a cute little thing to say, but it kind of completely undermines the entire gospel. When I was thinking about that phrase, I was tempted to go so far as to actually call it heretical because to me, that phrase means I have to have this general love for everyone, but I never actually have to do anything, apply anything, or express that love in any way whatsoever, which is not what love is. If DC Talk taught us anything, it's that love is a verb. for all you 90s Christian kids out there. Um, <laughs> so how do you do love? How do you do love? If, if we are actually called not just to love, but to become love, to step into an inheritance, the Bible tells us that God is love, and we have been adopted into that family. We have been adopted into that genetic code. It is not that we are called just to do something. We are called to become something. God is not just good. God is not just love, loving. God is love itself. God is goodness itself. So what's step one to loving? There's a lot of good step ones, but here's mine. I think that the most powerful thing that we can do on an individual basis, let me, let, let me, uh, let me take one step back. Um, I've been thinking about this for a long time, uh, this simple, simple principle. And I've, I've, honestly, it's something I've been thinking about since I was about 16 years old. I've been talking to the Lord about this because it's been something that's important to me. Um, and it's been rising in me recently because I believe I've been... Um, this one day, uh, early in, early in the uh, year, last year, um, I was just hanging out just at my house, and all of a sudden I heard the, the voice of the Lord speak to me. And it, I wasn't in the middle of worship, I wasn't soaking in the presence, but as soon as I heard his voice, it felt like I was at the very end of the best worship set of my entire life, like the weight of the presence just came with his words. And he said, I want to release my people to have an unprecedented opportunity to share my kingdom with the world. And I, obviously God has always been empowering us to share his kingdom, to share the gospel with other people, but I started to see a picture, and I, I, don't, I didn't understand the picture fully, I, but I felt it more than I understood it. I saw this converging point of all these different threads. I saw... The, the, the way that the, our understanding of the gospel has developed over the, over the last 20 or 30 years. I've watched how technology has developed over the last 20 or 30 years. I've watched how culturally the 
any individual's ability to be representative of anything is skyrocketing in a way that is unprecedented, immeasurable compared to the history. The only thing that's even close is like when the printing press was invented. The, the, the way that an individual can have effect on the entire world has not shot up this much since the creation of the internet, since the dawn of the printing press. And, and I keep hearing these generals in the faith. I hear Leif, I hear Bill, I hear Chris, I hear Dutch Sheets talking about how God is no longer just pouring out his presence on individuals. It's not about going to the evangelistic, to getting your friend to go to the evangelistic crusade to get them saved. It's about God pouring his presence out on all flesh, that we are all equipped to be ministers of the gospel. And I'm watching the way the world works, readying itself for what God is doing on, to his people on an individual level. And I, as I watched this picture, it, it, parts of it were clear, parts of it were cloudy. This truth that had been building up in me since I was young came rising to the surface. And I don't think it's the only thing, but I think it's one of the things that determines whether we get to fully strike when that opportunity comes or we totally whiff and miss it. <laughs> I also think it is a principle that is the best for me, again, step one to operating out of love, not just the idea of love, but actually the operation of love. Yes. Um, <laughs> not to be confrontive or anything, but... Um, and what is this mysterious principle that I'm taking lots of time building up to? Learning to listen. And we all agree with that. That sounds great. <laughs> but I catch myself being pushed to, and, and triggering to not listen, to, to speak rather than listen. Because it makes sense that as we have a greater opportunity to have our voice happen to more people in the world, that we would want to say more and want to share more. And that's a good thing. Again, I think that's part of this process. But if that precludes our ability to, lessen, to listen, I believe that it could completely undermine the effectiveness of the kind of message that God is wanting to release to us. Um, I'm going to read some scriptures to you real quick. I have over a hundred, but I'm just going to read a few of those. Um, know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. It's James 1.19. Um, if one gives an answer before he hears, it is folly and shame. Proverbs 18, 13. A fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his opinion. Proverbs 18, 2. If you really want these to just like stab you in the gut, just, just add on Facebook at the end of every single one. <laughs> if one gives an answer before he hears, it is his folly and shame on Facebook. <laughs> Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, on Facebook. Oh, no. Oh, no. 
Uh, this is one of my favorites, Titus 3.2. It starts in like, train your people to do this. And it says, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward all people on Facebook. <laughs> some of you are like, I gotta delete some posts real quick. <laughs> delete. <laughs> Unsubscribed. Um, One of the biggest attacks I see um, the enemy bring against people of, in every area of life, from the highest to the lowest, to the, to the, to the most eloquent, to the most in- ineloquent, is that he throws this lie that what we say doesn't matter. And it's dangerous to think that as we speak, our words don't matter, because one, we'll try to push and shove and throw words out there to try to make them matter, and we will think that the way that we get there, the negativity that we can show along the way also doesn't matter. It's funny, I was reading this article, this isn't a message about Facebook, Uh, it just, as I was reading those scriptures, I was like, oh man, let's make those, that that makes them kind of real. Um, but I was reading this uh, uh, study that had been done by a psychologist and said that our, our brains are actually very ill-equipped to understand the ramifications of being able to put, say a statement or put out a statement that a billion people can see. We don't really comprehend that. We don't understand that. We don't understand the effect that that can have. We don't understand how that idea, if even a hundred people listen to it, could be reinstated by them, said by said by to a hundred more people each, and how an idea or a thought or a system can be perpetuated for good or for ill. Hmm. Our words are literally more powerful than they ever have been in the history of humanity. They can go further, go faster, and reach people. It's more important than ever that we learn that our words matter, and that we learn how to listen. Everyone doing okay? Not smacking you around too much? Okay. <laughs> um, d- didn't say yes or no to that one. That's all right. Um, <laughs> um, so how do we do this? this? This is the way that I process this. Is First, start with where it's easy. Start with your friends. Start with your mothers and start with your fathers. Start with the people that are close to you. Not just your, your uh, physical mothers and fathers, but your spiritual mothers and fathers. Change the way that you listen to them speak. Recognize that whether they are, are, are a famous person or a not famous person, that they're carrying wisdom from heaven, that they are carrying the grace of God on their lives. And it may not be in every area. They, that doesn't mean that they're perfect, but they have something in them that comes from God that you desperately need. And that is true of every single human, human being on the planet and we will miss out on some of God's nature if we do not listen for it in the people that are around us. And it's easiest to start with people that are of, uh, of a similar bent, that are carrying a, a grace that you can recognize, the, the spiritual mothers and fathers in your life. Try to listen for what people are saying, but if you want to take that up a notch, the next time your feelings are hurt by something that happens or something that someone does, try to listen for what happened for why they said that that way, for what they were intending, for what they were meaning when they said that. Um, 
So uh, I'll just touch on this briefly. Um, if you've been here, around here for a long time, Leif alluded to it a lot, but I uh, or a little bit. I um, for I've uh, been seeing the spirit since I was a little kid. So I've seen angels, demons, and other spiritual things since I was little. Uh, if you're new to that, surprise. Uh, if you're old hat, then you've heard that about a dozen times at least. Um, I remember the, uh, a few months ago, I was um, counseling with a married couple that's not here, they're in another state, and I was doing it over video, uh, video chat. And, um, and you know, they were in this stage where they were quarreling, and if you ever, it's easier to see this when you're on the outside, it's harder when you're in the middle, but they were arguing, you could tell they were totally arguing about what was not the problem, they were arguing about these you know, little things that are up here, but they were just getting so agitated at each other. They were just, um, you know, they were just saying these harsh things back and forth, back and forth. It's because they were hurt and they were getting more hurt. And of course, this person said this hurtful thing that made them more hurt, which makes them say this more hurtful thing. It's a great cycle. Um, and I had the opportunity to see those people in person a few weeks after that. And when I looked at them in the spirit, it just looked like they had, had run face first through a, a patch of cactuses. Just like all of these scratches, just scritch scratch all across their face. And I, I couldn't help but feel so much com- compassion, but also just this, this hurt that, oh man, you, you don't know what you're doing to each other when you're acting out of hurt. And honestly, when I looked at that situation, I put it pretty equal that both were making equal number of mistakes, were, were in the wrong just as much as one or the other, which is usually how it works out with these kind of things. Um, there wasn't one person who was doing it worse than the other, but they were both just not listening for what the other person needed. They were more interested in getting their pain addressed, which, again, you want to... Hear me on this. It's not wrong to express your pain. It's not wrong to have needs from other people. But if it comes at the cost of listening, it disempowers us from actually getting what we need from other people. Slow cap. I'll take it. This one time, uh, April and I were in a... Uh, Vivacious discussion, we'll call it that. Um, we, don't, we don't really fight all too much, and both of us are pretty, pretty mild-mannered when we do. Um, and, you know, uh, as, as a person who's been in a relationship, you may have had the experience of, you know, in the middle of a heated discussion, you have a phrase come to mind. And you know it's not the right phrase. You know it's not what you're supposed to say. You know that it is not the correct thing to say. You know that it would be better if you didn't say it but you think maybe it might feel real nice if you just slid that in there, you know. And I had one of those pop in my mind as we were discussing, and it was nothing super horrible. It was nothing super, uh, uh, you know, awful or anything, but it was unnecessary. I tossed it around in my brain as the discussion went in circles for a little while, and before the, my, the better part of me could get the best of me, I uh, just kind of... Let that out. <laughs> and I watched in the spirit as this little cut appeared on the top of her cheek. It wasn't huge. It was about two inches long. And it just looked like someone just took a razor real quick and just tap. 
and a single drop of blood ran down her cheek. I immediately stopped in my tracks and said, I am sorry, I should not have said that. And, you know, April did what people do. It was like, oh, it's fine, no big deal. I know, you know, I know you didn't mean it. I said, no, that was not okay. I should not have said that. She said, okay, I forgive you. And as soon as she said that, the cut began to close. In fact, even the drop of blood ran back up and went into her cheek. When we listen and realize that we are talking to another human being who might be needing something right now, and whether they're handling it the right way, the wrong way, or somewhere in between, we conduct ourselves, it's easy to conduct ourselves differently. You know why? Because when you listen to someone and listen for who they are, it's easier to actually love them. Now that's hard because it's more complicated to have a need to be upset when someone, when, you, when someone you love is in front of you. But that's the point. That's what gets us to the truth, where we can actually be operating out of love. I used to do this thing. I don't know if it's healthy or, or not. Some of the counseling department can talk to me afterwards. But I, I just always had this personality type that always assumed that if something went bad, it was my fault. It's perfectly healthy, probably. Um, and again, I'm joking because that's not healthy, but the thing that was helpful that came out of that is it made it easy for me to listen to, oh, what do they need and how did I mess up getting, getting that to them? And so my journey was more learning how to express the needs that I had, but I always had this assumption that no matter what someone did, whether it was the, a horrible thing, a minor thing, an, an offensive thing, a hurtful thing, that to them it made sense to do that in the moment. That to them they had a reason for doing that. To them they had a reason for believing that or saying that or expressing that. And having that lens made it so much easier to not have the whole argument of, I can't believe they said that, I can't believe they did that, I can't believe, da, 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 which is a great way to just spend some time and some anger for no reason. Does that make sense? I know I'm getting a little bit rambly on this part, but it's, I want to try to hit the nuance of this. But when I recognize that someone is a person who just made a mistake and probably had, if not a good reason, a reason that made sense to them in that moment, then I can engage, it's easy to engage with love. Not fake love where everything's fine and okay and you know, hunky-dory, but real like, hey, this hurts, but I recognize that you are a person who has a need right now. Does that make sense? That is some of the ways that we can start with the people that we love. And again, it's, I'm gonna keep being blunt here. So it doesn't mean anything if we can listen to someone we agree with. But the second they say something that hurts us, bothers us, or causes tension, that we all of a sudden stop listening. Slow clap from the back. Thank you, Summer. <laughs> That's three slow claps so far. We're doing good. Um, the Bible tells us to love our enemies. Blake, you're saying that lo listening is one way to start loving. I sh shouldn't be listening to my enemies, right? So uh, this smart dude from a while ago named Aristotle, don't know if you've heard of him, um, 
Uh, kind of Greek guy, curly hair. Anyway, um, he had this phrase that uh, is not the most biblical thing in the world, but I think it's a useful construct for this. He said, it's the mark of an educated mind to be able to consider an idea or entertain an idea without accepting it. That I can look at this idea, I can, I can engage with this idea, but I don't necessarily need to automatically receive it from my own. That there's a line between actually listening to something and looking at it, taking a real solid look at it, and actually putting, putting that straight in my heart. Does that make sense? It's a great way to think like when someone's giving you some feedback or telling or correcting you on something, because you know, when we get it immediately to, how dare you, you know. But you, da, 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 you know, all that useful stuff, um, that we actually stop, don't immediately receive it, but say, let me consider this, let me entertain this before I decide whether I want to accept it. So take this to a bigger view. Um, we'll go back to Facebook for a second. I see people arguing about political stuff, about social stuff. You could probably list a few things right now in your head. But Blake, why should I listen to them? They agree with this. Blake, why should I listen to them? They believe this religion. Why should I listen to them? They believe this political thing that I fundamentally disagree with. They believe with this thing that I think is fundamentally wrong. One, you are called to love your enemies. That is something that your God commanded you to do. Two, if you are not capable of listening with things that, listening to things that you disagree with, you will be incapable of influencing the people who believe those things. You will not be able to. Third, fourth slow clap, guys, we're doing great. <laughs> we will not be able to release the gospel to people who do not believe that the gospel is valuable or valid if we cannot listen and understand why. If we cannot recognize that there is a human being that is having that experience right now. That doesn't mean that I agree with them. That doesn't mean that I say, yes, that means I'm listening and recognizing that a human being had a painful experience with the church or had a painful, has, has experienced a painful perspective of who God is or experienced something in their history that caused them to have this particular political view, or they had something simple like an overbearing parent or uncle who had X political view, and so they associate that political view with that person, you know? That doesn't mean I agree with them. That means I understand how they got where they are. Does that make sense? I want you to uh, turn with me to the book of uh, Titus which is a real book in the Bible. For those of you who are panicking right now, it's right after 2 Timothy and right before Philemon. If you have the same Bible as me, it's page 1091. <laughs> um, so we're going to go to Titus uh, chapter 3. I'm just going to read this. This whole chapter is awesome. This whole book is awesome. It's only three chapters, so this is an easy one to just go home and read. The whole thing is great. But this last part, I just really like. So it's Titus 3. We'll start with verse 1. But verse 2, uh, 2 and 3 is really where I feel like the meat of what we're talking about is today. 
Remind the people to, to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good, to slander no one, to be peaceable and considerate, and always be gentle toward everyone. At one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated, hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that, having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. Yeah, I feel strongly about it, too. This scripture isn't just be nice to those sinful people because you used to be sinful too. It's so much deeper than that. It goes so many layers of don't hold the fact that you have a revelation that someone else doesn't have over their head because that is you literally holding revelation away from them. That's slow clap number five. This is... Oof. Um, I love this part of the scripture too because when you look, it, it can be easy, and we've, we've talked about this before, but I want to touch on this at the end here, that when we look at the, the scripture, we can think of all the, all the commandments, all the thing that, things that God asks us to do, to be generous, to be good, to be kind, and think, ah, oh, there's so much I got to do in there. There's, I, you're just telling me love is a verb. That means I got to do stuff. You know, There's so much to do. And it's important to remember that that is, not what, that is not the story of the gospel, is that you have to do all this stuff to get something good. The gospel is, it is impossible for us to live up to the standard that God has called us to. That's the whole point of the Old Testament in many ways, is it is impossible. So God sent his son to die for us so that we could become heirs, we could inherit his kingdom. We could inherit him. We could inherit his nature. Practice by listening to your mothers and fathers and friends around you, listening deeper, listening more, listening in a way that costs you something. Stretch into listening to your enemies, listening to people who, I know we don't fight against flesh and blood, so you shouldn't have any people enemies, but sometimes it happens. So be willing to listen to people who are carrying ideas that you consider enemies so that you're more capable of releasing God's love to them. But most importantly, practice and grow the way that you listen to God because you can't do any of this apart from the nature that he is imparting to you. You cannot do this without him, but through him, by inheriting his nature, by receiving the grace to be kind as he is kind, to be holy as he is holy, to be good as he is good. You can do things that are impossible. You can love in a way that is impossible to do. Does that make sense? Next time someone says something that hurts your feelings, say, God, what are you, what are you saying about what happened? And don't make it fake. Don't make it, he says something, if he says something kind and good and generous and you don't instantly receive that in your heart, don't 
rob yourself of the experience of revelation by just saying, I guess I'll just be, try to be happy about that. I guess I'll just be nice to them. Be bold enough to approach your father and say, I don't know how to see it that way. I don't know how not to be mad at that. I am mad at that. I am hurt by that. That bothers me so much. I do not know how to respond well to this right now. Have the courage to say that to him so that he can teach you, so that he can guide you. If there is a revival coming that will outmatch and outgrow any that's come before, then we need every hand to be ready. It is just as essential that every single one of us be masters of love as much as the person on your right and left or the person who's in front of you as the person who's behind you. Does that make sense? We're finite people serving an infinite God. There are aspects of his nature that will only be represented on the earth by you. He is infinite. His goodness is so big that no one person can represent all of it. There are things that he wants to do on this earth that he has only assigned to you. And if we do not grow our ability to listen to him and grow our ability not just to listen, but to hear and to receive what he's saying and let it, let it transform the way that we act in every part of our lives, then we will miss out on the most beautiful gift that he has for us. Does that make sense? All right, stand up. I just want to pray for you guys real quick here at the end. So Father, in the same way that we cannot truly become love without you, that we cannot truly operate in kindness, that we cannot truly listen to our brothers and sisters without your grace, we don't even know how to learn how to do this apart from your grace. So Lord, we just ask right now that you make our hearts soft, that you make our minds soft, that you make our ears open. That you would teach us that the things that we say matter. That you would teach us that the words that we release onto this planet, both literally and spiritually, have a lasting effect. That we are of the opportunity in this coming season to release your truth on a scale that was impossible a hundred years ago, fifty years ago, even in some ways ten years ago that we have an opportunity to release a wave of your presence that touches every corner of the earth instantaneously at the same time, both by your spirit and by the, the technology that has grown up around the culture that has been growing on the earth, Lord. We just want to submit our practices to you, our life to you, the way we engage with other people towards you. And I release right now as we wrap up just a special grace on those who like myself uh, have, been, have been hurt by relationships in the past, who, have been, who would consider themselves more introverted, who don't know how to connect with people, who because of some kind of wounding don't have, have a hard time knowing how to operate in these areas, how to make the things that you're promising us practical and alive in our lives. I release the guiding hand of the Holy Spirit to take us on the personal journey of healing and restoration that you have planned for every single one of our pains, every single one of our hurts, and every single one of our areas that need to grow. And I release the truth that this is, these are not the commands, the command to love, the command to listen, the command 
to operate this way is not coming from a harsh father who demands perfection, but a loving father who wants his children to receive nothing less than the absolute best that his son paid for. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Sermon of the Week. To stay connected with Bethel Atlanta, visit www.bethelatlanta.com.